Hey, it's Margot Tanto here, host of Windowsill Chats. I am so glad you're here. I have some tales to tell, some interesting stories to discover, and I'm glad you're here to do that with me. I have spent decades working with artists and being one myself, kind of in the trenches and figuring out what the best way is to get something done, how to get something made, how to get yourself noticed creatively, how to make the best of a situation. And so I'm here to bring those stories to you and see if there's anything you can pull out from it. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet little corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. thrilled to be able to talk to my friend Misha Zadeh Graham today. Misha has inspired me with her art for a really long time, not just how it looks, which I think is so sophisticated and fresh and wonderful, but how she gets herself out there and doesn't stop really. I feel like she sets her mind to something and she makes it happen. Misha sketches, paints, and collages from her home studio in Seattle's Ballard neighborhood overlooking the Puget Sound. She draws inspiration from her childhood spent poring over Persian miniatures and weavings, as well as the modern and Nordic influences she picked up in her studies at the University of Washington and beyond. She loves to play with color, pattern, quirky animals, and all sorts of flora. You can find her bold imagery adorning textiles, housewares, and of course, paper goods. Grab a cup of tea and join Misha and me right here. I get to talk to Misha Zeta. Do I say that right? Misha Zeta Graham? Yeah. So my catchphrase in the 80s was Misha Zade rhymes with Sade, <laughs> which doesn't work as well anymore, right? But back then it really helped people it get really it. It really did. Zade. I'm so glad to know that. I apologize for all the times I said it wrong. That's okay. Very nice to be talking to you today. Thank you. No, I'm relatively new at this for sure, but not new to having passionate conversations about creativity. And I just thought right away, you're one of those people that have just kind of forged your own way and said, I'm going to figure this out. And I admire that. So I figured, Thank you. let's dive into that. Are you in your studio? Where are you today? I am. I'm in my studio, which is in a bedroom in my house upstairs. Um, and it gets good light some parts of the day and not others. So sometimes I will um, have a mobile studio and move around my house. Um, but I do have a nice uh, space right by the window that does good lighting for Zoom calls. So that's where I like to do all those. I know what I've seen lately, right? But I feel like we're all sort of, people judge us by what they know us by most recently. I can remember a boss saying, oh, I didn't know you could like run a business. Like, what do you, what do you think I've been doing for the last 20 years? So, <laughs> you know, I would love to know a little bit about how you 
kind of decided this was the way you wanted to go? Like, did you have creative parents even, or how'd you get here? Yeah. So, um, yes, my parents were both architects. Um, so there is that creative background there. Um, but also, um, I was born in Iran. Um, and shortly after, when I was five years old, um, Iran went through a major revolution. And so my family left at that time and moved here. So immigrant kid, um, growing up and trying to figure out that whole thing, how to fit into this new world and decide who I was going to be. Um, and art and drawing was always a constant. Um, but as I got older, I think in high school, I decided, well, I need to get serious now because I mean, that's clearly not going to be my career path. You know, I'm not going to be an artist. Um, so I, I kind of stopped doing art towards the end of high school. And I was a very academically oriented person, you know, type A, straight A student. Um, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And for like Iranian parents, and I think many sort of immigrant parents, it's like, you know, the options are <laughs> doctor, lawyer, engineer. Um, and all I knew was that I did not want to do any of those things. I mean, I was just not interested in them. So I went off to college, not art school. I went to the University of Washington thinking, well, something's going to hit me there. You know, I'm going to have this revelation. I hope because I, I really don't know. I thought, you know, maybe I would end up in the business world somewhere. Um, I liked psychology, but that didn't seem like a super clear, you know, career path either. Um, so I went, you know, with very open kind of open eyes, open heart um, to the University of Washington. And it was not until my, the very end of my freshman year when a friend of mine um, convinced me to do a three credit intro to drawing class with her just as an art elective that we needed. And it was there that I actually learned about graphic design. Mm. So I, I, I was not familiar with what graphic design was. It was still, you know, like not a household term like it is now. And to me, it seemed like, well, this is sort of like art meet, meets business and seemed like a really good opportunity. And the design program at the UW was very, very strong, you know, highly regarded. Um, so I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to go for this. And, you know, the only drawback being that um, it was a very popular program. So kind of hard to get into. They didn't have room for as many people who wanted to do it. So there was a very strict sort of order of events that you needed to follow in order to even just apply to get in. And it involved doing, you know, a full year of art and art history prereqs, wow. which I was now about a year behind on if you're following the four year yeah. <laughs> trajectory, which as this, you know, very like five year plan person, you know, I was a little bit behind. But, um, yeah, so I decided I'm going to go for this. Um, so you do your prereqs and then you in your sophomore year, you, um, you take the first graphic design class. And at that time, it was anywhere between 75 and 100 students that wanted to do it. And at the end of fall quarter, they would cut it to, they would cut 50 students, wow. half and half. And that half had to find new majors. Oh and then gosh, you then went on to winter quarter and they would cut that class in half at the end. So it was, they would choose anywhere between 20 and 25 students that would end up making that cohort. So they were really looking for people who were taking it seriously. Shall oh, I mean, it was, yes, it was a, a very serious program. A lot of late nights, you know, fingertips cut off and all sorts of stuff like that. 
but it was also a very, um, we ended up, the class that formed, uh, very, very close-knit group of friends and um, lifelong friends and ones that are still, um, I met my husband there, so he was one of 22 students in the class. So I was really, it, it really was like something hit me at the UW and it was all meant to be and um, loved the program. So graduated from there. Oh, and because it took me an extra year, I had all this room. So I did a lot of studio art classes. So I ended up with, it, it ended up being really important. Yeah, so I actually got two degrees, one in graphic design and one in interdisciplinary visual art. Um, I would say the one thing about the program at the UW, the design program, it was very kind of Swiss modern type typography focused. There was no illustration there, um, and it was, illustration was not really promoted either. So I think what I picked up, all, anything I've learned about illustration yeah. was from those other studio art classes. Oh, interesting. That I did. Yes. Yeah, so I, I ended up doing a lot of printmaking, which I really loved and, you know, would, would come into play later in my career, even though I thought after this, I'm just going to be a graphic designer. So I, um, after graduation, I worked at design firms for about four years. So different, I jumped around from a few different um, agencies and finally landed at a place where, um, you know, it was kind of like the Goldilocks you know, this design firm was great. I learned this and this and this, but it didn't have this. And I finally landed at the place that I had actually wanted to work at right after college. Um, they had an opening and it was a great studio, about 15 people. We were doing really fun work, um, really great colleagues. And I thought I would stay there kind of for the, for a long time, like build my career there. Um, but then the timing was such that, um, so we were doing a lot of work for the dot-com world uh -huh. and um that that all kind of imploded in 2001 and so they had to start doing layoffs and then morale was down and so all my friends were just leaving and those are the things we think we're gonna be doing forever right right so you know i also left and at that time you could do really well just freelancing for other design firms there was so much work to be had and you could actually make more money that way so i sort of thought well i'll I'll just leave, be on my own, have this freelancing opportunity until, you know, a, another position opens up somewhere else at a design firm. Yeah. Um, so I started my own freelance business in 2001, mm -hmm. um, in July. And then in September, <laughs> the world changed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, beyond all the, you know, awful trauma um, and the world was never the same. Um, but also like marketing and advertising agencies really took a hit because people, the first thing people did was stop paying for marketing projects. Sure. So all those design firms I've been working with, you know, everything went in-house. And so I, like a lot of my colleagues were sort of had time to do other stuff and figure out other stuff. So I had always been, well, not always, but I had recently been doing some cards, some handmade cards using um, something from the print world, from the graphic design print world. And it was these translucent vellums, like these colorful vellums that were kind of, do you, I don't know yeah. if you were yeah. in that world at all, but like- I had the same major as you. 
Yeah. Not the same path, but interesting. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so Chartum Translucents was coming out as like a, a different type of paper that you could print on to make something, you know, a little bit more interesting in your brochure or whatever. But I started cutting them and um, kind of overlapping them and creating oh. little cut paper artworks. And I was doing them as cards just for friends. That's not so awesome. Fast forward a few months and um, another friend of mine who had just bought a, an etching press and had, she had left her big cor corporate job and was doing etchings again and came up with a line of greeting cards and decided to go to the National Stationery Show. Didn't want to pay for the whole booth for herself and thought, you know, you're doing these cards. Why don't you make a line and like come to New York and we'll split a booth and we'll do this thing. And you know, she's a real risk taker and I'm not. And I was like, what? I, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I mean, I'm not ready to do that. I have like five card designs, um, but she convinced me um, and I'm really so glad you, she did. When were you, 2000 So that was 2002. Oh, I did not know that. We were yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So um, 2002, I went to the stationery show and I had my creative, turquoise creative. Um, and at that point was just a line of handmade cut paper. With these vellum ones? Yes. And so very, very modern, very like rich, saturated color that you cannot actually get by printing. Right. Mm -hmm. So on very, you know, white cardstock and wow. um, handmade. So high price point item, mm -hmm. specialty cards. Um, but so in a matter of months, I filled out a line, um, you know, and I had the skills to do a, a catalog and make the business look a lot bigger than it was. I mean, really, by the time oh, we were in New awesome. York, this time we were in New York, like I had done each of my card designs like one time. So, you know, I didn't, we didn't know what to expect. So we went and had like a really good show. And so I had, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in orders and I came home and I had to like create a card company. So I had to come up with systems for, you know, I could teach. I had to people. make them. I had to make them. I had to like, yeah, make them more than one time and figure out how to make them consistently and also to teach other people to make them because I'm not going to sit here making 20,000 cards. So I became a jobs creator. So I was able to give, you know, piecemeal work to um, local artisans, AKA friends from the design world and beyond. Fantastic. Um, and we, I had a greeting card company that I focused on for several years and it was some of the my favorite times of my life it was really really fun running my product-based business um and having relationships with stores all over the country and around the world i got some like um liberty london placed in order and barney's of new york and Gosh, it's that so was fun really isn't it when they it's just so exciting when those buyers come through and they like your work and you you know admire their totally. history and everything so I think what, what made it hard in the long term is that at that point I was wholesale only, uh -huh. and which was the norm back then. You know, those yes, big accounts, sure. you know, Kate's Papery and such, they didn't want you to sell directly. You know, this was before Etsy, before online shopping, all of that. So, you know, um, it was a lot of work and I was getting wholesale pricing for everything mm -hmm. and having to pay all these people to make it. So I did that for a few years. Um, and then it, um, it didn't seem like the most sustainable thing in the world. I, at some point I added in some letterpress cards and I worked with a local printer and art directed them, but they were printing them. Mm -hmm. so that was a way to kind of 
have something that was less, you know, hand demanding right. from me. Hand work to create each one. Yes. But after running the numbers, it's like to scale this business, you know, and pay Seattle artisan pricing, it seemed really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking for ways to kind of make it easier. Same at the same time, um, there was a really big case of copyright infringement where a greeting card company had essentially stolen the idea for my whole line and oh. had come up with a line of cut paper translucent cards. Oh, I that one. I missed that oh yes, we'll have to talk details on that one. But um, uh, and it was a, a really large company that had massive reach, and they were producing theirs overseas. Um, so I did actually decide to pursue legal action against them. Um, and that was, you know, a super traumatic years long process, um, which ended okay. Um, never know that we're going to have to learn. Right. And so, you know, yeah, I had to lawyer up and, um, I had, you know, really good, I was able to get a lawyer who worked on a contingency basis, which was really the only way I would have been able to do it. Was that hard to find? Actually, I mean, this is where, you know, there's a theme throughout my career where networking. Mm-hmm. So a college friend who was in right. the IP space, you know, in San Francisco, I talked to her about it and, you know, she wanted her team to take it on, but it needed to be someone in my own state. So she kind of connected me with people and it was not a fun process. I do not recommend it to anyone, but I, I do feel really good that I, I pursued this. And I know that copyright theft is like rampant right now. And I don't even know how my case would do now, but at the time we went for it um, and it was really stressful. Um, And again, right at that time um, I had two boys. Mm -hmm. I I started having kids and it was just the running of the business. It was all really stressful. So I was looking for ways to kind of, um, at that point, I stopped going to trade shows. So I, I did have a few reps and I was really just maintaining my business, but I wasn't actively seeking to grow it. Um, and that's when I started getting into licensing. So um, my first licensing gig was actually um, Chronicle Books. Mm-hmm. Um, saw my paperwork and they wanted to produce a line of cards, you know, with my actual reproductions of my cut paper. Mm-hmm. Work. So um, did a few things with them and that was fun. And um, it was a great little foray into licensing. Um, good place to start. A good place to start. Um, but it wasn't until I developed a relationship with an online print on demand mm-hmm. reading card company mm-hmm. that was doing, okay. So this was in the 2007, 2008 era when um, the kind of custom birth announcements and Christmas cards, wedding invitations, that that was kind of just happening. And, you know, I felt like there was one company who was doing, you know, really nice design, some nice, simple designs, high quality printing. So I actually reached out to them, pitching an idea to do um, sort of ethnic themed cards. You know, I was thinking, oh, you know, we should have these for Iranian New Year and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And while they weren't ready to go into that sphere yet, um, you know, the vice president was like, but, you know, I've checked out your work and, you know, would you be interested in coming on board and creating some designs for us, being one of our designers? Oh, so in the company. 
No, as a, on a, as a licensor, okay. but they worked with a very specific group, you know, a small group of designers at that point. But um, that ended up being, you know, a really amazing licensing experience mm -hmm. um, because their um, royalties were really generous and it was a product that was in high demand. Um, so it was a lot of work, you know, four times a year mm -hmm. when I was preparing collections, but then the payoff was, but worth it. it was amazing. You know, it, so it allowed me to work, um, part-time, but be making <laughs> with royalties more than I was like uh, double what I was at the last design firm. I that's, um, that's hard to, for a lot of people to be able to say, I think, you know, I'm sure people are thinking like, well, how much is what is what kind of royalties do you get and I know that it varies for different products but anymore five percent mm -hmm. you know if you're five percent is pretty standard but you don't get paid out ahead of time anymore and you so I will say that this was an interesting you know second experience to have in licensing and um, eventually it varied between the two <laughs> like I just don't think that opportunities like this exist right now. Mm -hmm. I think that was even at the time I was thinking like, Oh my God, you know, I can't mm -hmm. believe this, you know, cause at that point, once you've handed off uh, your designs, mm -hmm. they're doing all the work. Yep. They are marketing it, selling it, whatever. And you're just, you know, getting royalties. And um, even at the time I felt like, wow, this is crazy. I mean, it's like nowhere in comparison to the amount of work I was doing with my card line and, or, yeah. you know, working in the, design world. Um, and so, you know, it didn't last forever. It was a nice like three or four bu a year bubble. Um, but then, you know, so many other producers of print on demand came into the market. This company got bought out and they renegotiated sure. uh, agreements with all the designers. And I basically, um, because I had come on when I had come on, mm -hmm. my uh, offer was a 75% decrease in royalty. Yeah. So, so obviously it was like, well, this is ending and I need to figure out my next thing. And, you know, as great as it was financially, was I doing the most like amazing portfolio work? No, you know, like, but everything has its time and it was really amazing to get paid well for. Right. And, you, and I would guess that you learned, you know, you figured out what that company needed, what was going to sell for them. And mm -hmm they wanted your take on that. And so that's how, that's how that played out. Yes. And I, I have an interesting story with that. And that is, so my contact was always the VP. So, uh -huh. you know, when I started working with their design team and their art directors, you know, they would do a call out and they said, we're looking for these type of things. This is the color palette. It was very, you know, specific. And I, you know, I, and whatever the 12 other designers they were working with, with send in designs, they would pick stuff. You would develop it and hand off production files. Um, so that first year, um, they passed on two of my favorite designs. Mm. And I was like, Oh, what, why are they passing on this? Like, it just was like killing me, you know? Um, and I finally, you know, I reached out to my VP and I was like, um, so the design team passed on these and, you know, these are based on two of my best selling designs from my card line. And I really just feel very strongly about them. And, you know, she's like, resubmit, you know, maybe change the colors a bit, resubmit. And, you know, let's, let's see. Hmm. So I did that. Essentially she pushed the designs through. So one of those designs ended up being the top selling card of that year. 
I was going to ask, you know, which um, it made a lot for them and me. So when you're dealing with art directors, you know, I mean, there were quite a few there and they were all, you know, very new in their careers and not to say that that's necessarily bad, right? But sometimes I think when you feel really strongly about something and you do have a relationship with someone, it's important to not just take that first no and tell them why you think this is gonna be good. I agree. I would say too that I've always had that impression of you, which I respect and love, is that you have an opinion of what you think will work and, and you suggest like, as an art director or as somebody choosing an artist to be able to have that kind of rapport back and forth and respect is awesome because I know you're putting out your best work that you think will be appropriate and, and you come with confidence. And I think that that goes a long way. Well, thank you. And I have not always had that. And it wanes, certainly. It's not always easy for anybody. You know, right. Like, I mean, you can only take rejection also, like so many times before it like ruins your spirit. But I have always felt like if, if I do feel super strongly about something that I have to at least explain myself further or, you know, make more than one attempt to push it through. I mean, interestingly, you know, a collection that I submitted, you know, on three different occasions um, that I felt really strongly about. I was shocked that it was getting, you know, passed on. And I figured, okay, well, it must not be right for this market or whatever. Um, someone's interested in it now. Again, third time. Mm -hmm. So. Sometimes it's just, sometimes, well, artists are always ahead of, I mean, we're paying attention to trends and things that we like. It's kind of, you just have to shake your head when it, when it shows up for you. Right, and it may have been too edgy at the time. And maybe now is a better time. But how nice to have the rapport of certain companies or certain people you work with where you can say, hey, you know, look at this again. I really think this is something. Sometimes I just feel like people are either they're not paying attention or there are too many emails they're looking at at one time. You know, there's so many reasons. So that's a that's a good point that often it's just about being um, communicative and persuasive. <laughs> Those are good traits. Yes. Have in this business for sure. So after, so, cause I feel like when I think of you, I definitely think of you as an illustrator or, mm -hmm. you know, a m much more beyond card artist, much broader. So when did you start to kind of refresh? Right. So I thought, I think that was always in me and I always wanted to do more than that. Like, again, I didn't really set out to be a card artist. It just, it, that just sort of happened. I think. Right. Your friend called and said, let's go to the stationery show. And I, right. That's how it works. Totally. Um, so I think deep down, I'm a person who really likes good design, thoughtful, um, color, emotive content. Um, and that was just, and I, and I also really like seeing my art out in the world. And that was one thing I wasn't getting with greeting cards. I, I knew that like I was creating artwork that people shared with each other on a very personal basis for, you know, to commemorate special events. And so I was bringing joy in that way, but I wanted to just be more, I don't know, a part of someone's daily life, I guess. Um, it's, it's those connections. Can I make something that will bring joy in someone's life um, that it keeps me 
going and interested in this world. So um, kind of once the relationship with um, that card company sort of waned and at that point I really was just keeping my cut paper business going to the few accounts that I had um, and, and starting to do some, you know, small direct sales, but, and very much, you know, being a mom, very much. So I was, you know, there was a period in time where I would say um, I was only working half time that I was, you know, not only focused on raising my kids, but really, really active in their schools mm -hmm. um, and doing a lot of volunteer work for the Seattle Iranian community. Um, I was their creative director for the Seattle Iranian festival for 11 years. Wow. Um, so I was, you know, it's not like I was ever <laughs> actually not working full time, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's well, it it shifted your priorities with the kids and yeah, Iranian people and and I think I was really, I felt really at that point kind of stifled in this cut paper style that I had become known for. Because yeah, you had moved beyond it probably, but people still saw you there. Right. And I, I wanted to do more and I was having this major creative block. Um, and so I just kind of wasn't producing new work for a few years. Um, and I was doing, you know, freelance design work again, but nothing. I always thought I want to come back to licensing Mm -hmm. at some point mm -hmm. um, when the time is right and I want to go beyond paper. Um, so I think in, I think it was 2015 that I decided, you know, I'm going to dive back into this. And, and when I started kind of getting in back into the world, um, it had changed so much. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's like, no one knew who I was anymore. Um, and there were so many great new voices creating so much new content and all these classes were, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wait, I was out of this for like a couple of years. What happened? You know, it so exploded them really it did. Um, so I was kind of learning like where it is now and how can I get back into this? Um, and so actually in 2015, I walked Surtex. So I paid the $500 or whatever. I didn't, I wasn't connected with anyone at that point. So, um, and Surtex for anybody who doesn't know is a show for licensing your artwork that happened once a year, happens once a year in New York. I say happens like nothing happens anymore. But, well, you know, it doesn't <laughs> really right now, but yeah. So Surtex I had always been aware of because the years that I was doing the stationary show, they ran concurrent. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was like, oh, that's cool. You're just, you know, creating all this artwork and it's other companies coming to look at your artwork and see if it, they'd want to put it on their product. So I'd always kind of been aware of that and started, you know, at that point, I, in 2015, I feel like people were still really doing Surtex, right? I thought for sure it was, it was hopping. Yes. So I thought if this is, if I'm going to kind of relaunch myself and do a new body of work, I have to do something like this to kind of announce myself. Like I'm back. I'm, I'm going under the Misha Zade name. I have new work, you know, um, it seemed like the right, Thing to do. So I, you know, my mom and I did a little trip to New York and walked the show. And um, I was so, you know, careful to not offend anyone. I really just wanted to see what the vibe was. Um, you know, but as an artist, you know, people are so like, I didn't want to offend anyone. I, so I didn't really talk to very many people. I'm just kind of walking around and it was enough for me to be like, yeah, I think I can do this. Yeah. Um, and I think I want to 
go all out and do my own booth, even though it's really expensive, um, because I have an idea for, you know, a, a grander vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to be limited to like, you know, a small panel. So right. That um, well, eventually, right? Not <laughs> immediately. It's a lot of work and effort and it does. It as you know, it but I think, I think your vision, you're someone who has vision and I think the things that you've done ahead were probably, you know, mulling around in your mind, like, how can I, how can I stand out here? Cause that's always, whenever I watch something like that, whenever I start any, <laughs> whenever I start a new business, but it's like, how can you take what else is happening here and mm-hmm. stand apart from the rest? So did right. you do it the next year? I did. So 2016. That was your first. So year. yeah. So I took the home deck class with you, home decor class with you that January, which was amazing. And I really learned so much about substrates other than paper. Yeah, I feel like class. I know paper pretty well. Um, and I definitely leverage like all my print history there, but it's really different working with other materials. So that was a class where we taught every week we talked about a different substrate. So you learned a little bit about glass, metal, fabric, ceramic, and wood. So yeah. that must have been fun to, um, gosh, I just, you know, I just, you know, in hindsight, I wish I knew a little bit more about everybody so I could see like what they're doing and how they're just great. You're just so, I, just for anybody, I can't get enough of your things. Like, you know, I, I have four bowls and I wish I had 12 and, you know, things like that. Oh, you're so, so sweet. So it translates so well. Your work translates so well to other materials. You get it. You. And you, you know, you live in a very creative household. You have a creative partner. Yes. You know, you, your schooling sounds awesome. I, my program was so much more, you know, we didn't have to show up in the same way. So I feel like your training, um, was great. So in that first year text, like what, so what happened? Like what did happen for you? Yeah. Um, so I guess what had, started emerging in the last year was that I, um, I had not worked with paints since college. Um, and I start and I'd never done watercolors before I, in college, it was, you know, I did a lot of acrylics and printmaking, but I started, you know, messing around with acrylic inks. And a lot of times I just refer to those as watercolor because, you know, they're, they come in a little jar and, and they act very much like watercolor, but they dry fast. Um, and you can layer on top of them without, you know, reactivating. Do you um, get a, a, a richer saturation with those? Do you think? Oh my God, totally. Right? Because that's yeah. why I feel like your your colors are so saturated in the most yummy way. Yeah. So I'm obsessed with saturated color. And that's why, you know, back in my cut paper days, like with those vellums, like that I just sense. can't get that with printing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I'm learning with, you know, translating my artwork to product on some product, you also decals just can't do that either. So mm-hmm. No, you're right. They can't. It is what it is. Um, that firing but, process ruins everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes just the decals themselves can't quite do that, right? Because they're just it's same deal as with ink on paper, mm-hmm. right? It, yep. it takes a master part. skill to kind of mess around and do that. And I'm not involved in that part, right? To be like the annoying art director that um, people paid me to be on print press checks. So anyway. Right. Um, so I had this kind of new style and it was very like, I don't know, gestural, um, sort of letting the inks do what they want related, I guess, an overall aesthetic to my card line, but definitely its own thing. So I think like, 
And I can't believe, yeah, you don't know my old card line. So I'll have to show you that sometime. Well, I, I'm guessing that as soon as I see it, I'll be like, oh, I have some of those in my card well, box. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't think I ever was a household I'll name. i check that out immediately. Yeah. So anyway, I had this new look. Um, I actually created one collection um, in your class, my La Marina collection, mm -hmm. which is something that I ended up selling not that year, but the following year. Um, and that was one of my very favorites. Um, so I went to Surtex and I think the thing that I was struggling with when I was designing my space was that really the trend at Surtex is to show as many collections as, and patterns as you can. Like you have nine panels and you want to show like 40 collections on there. Mm -hmm. And that to me, like my modern design, you know, Swiss <laughs> grid uh, yep. schooling, it just, it's too chaotic for me. So I did something that was, you know, some people may have thought like radical that I, you know, spent wasted, <laughs> spent three of my panels just with one piece of wow. art that stretched out and with a ton of white space. But I think it actually ended up, you know, making the booth stand out. Um, so you did that thing where what, what, what is everybody looking for here? Everything looks, it doesn't, I mean, art doesn't look the same, but you're right. If every booth has mm -hmm. as much in there as they can put visually, then it's chaotic until you reach your booth and where your eyes can rest on one gorgeous design, mm -hmm. two, three, you know, larger panels and maybe your, your outfit is color coordinated. I mean, maybe, you know, like I, I didn't demand that of my friends who worked in the booth. It yes, was I awesome. Um, but um, I think that's just the way my brain works. I like things to be simple yeah. and clear. Um, and well, then I think the person who is that in them looking at your work, it's almost subconsciously like her designs are going to be this way too. If I work with this person, it's going to be direct. It's going to be clear. It's going to be vivid. It like it, you're you're already giving them a con starting the conversation, and that's wild. right. And if and if people pass by because it's like it's too sparse or whatever, like in the end, I probably don't want to be I working know. with them, right? Mm -hmm. And but it's hard to think in that way when you invest all this money, you know, to go to New York and you want to reach as many people as you want. So that first year I really was, you know, I had my binder and like, you know, hundred people came by and I have this list of callbacks to do. Um, you know, how many of those actually turned into signed deals? Very few, especially that's a lot of after work, a ton of after work. It is. And even, you know, folks that seemed really interested when it comes down to it, you know, something they were interested in then maybe the timing's not right, but when, by the time you actually send it or their team doesn't approve it, whatever. So it is a, it was a big investment. I'm really glad I did it. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though like that year I didn't go home with like, it was no like um, done deal. Oh, I'm set. This is great. I still, you have to build several years. So I um, went back the second year wow. and sort of with that same, um, mindset in terms of, you know, I want my booth to kind of show my grand vision for the year, I guess, um, highlight just a few collections that I want to do. Um, but the thing that changed was that I, the first year I didn't show any art on product really. Mm -hmm. And I, 
Um, so from your class, I really learned that, you know, ceramics are the thing that I was the most interested in. And I think my work translated really well mm-hmm. into, I guess, um, hard goods. So I took a ceramics class. So and then in 2017, just at my local um, community center, just to learn, you know, the very basics. Mm-hmm. And um, I really w- was more interested in learning how to do surface painting right not the actual structure of ceramics that takes years to build and stuff and while I found that very interesting I didn't have the time or interest to do that right then so something I can paint my designs on exactly so actually so a lot of times like students would abandon their fired pieces you know and they would be thrown away and and at some point they'd be like okay these are free for all whoever wants them to try test glazes or whatever so it'd be like oh my god let me add it let me add it so um Yes, I, I did a lot of experimenting. Um, and so then I actually had some pieces that I had made that had my art on it. So I brought those. Um, those were amazing. I remember. And I even like, you know, I think, who was it? Um, Shutterfly even? You know, do you know that like you can upload photos to put on melamine plates at Shutterfly and things like that? Huh. So I discovered that. And so I produced but actually like put designs on there not and it was decent quality enough to like help someone visualize what my product what my design what they see totally we'd like to think that you know we're all clever and we're making it up as we go but if someone can give us a nudge and it's something we like oh it's a gift I mean even just you know um mock-ups too help better than flat art which is another thing you know you talked about in your class um which I had not had experience with that either. Mm-hmm. So I, I did feel like, um, you know, the steps I went to have physical product in the space really, really helped. So that year I felt like I had, a, I made a lot stronger um, connections um, and then left with a, a pretty big uh, housewares. Um, that one 180 found you? Yeah. So, so, they, so your dishes brought you customers or the thing, the showing your yeah. work on product along with having your flat pattern started to have people notice you differently. I think so. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, they had stopped by very briefly the previous year, but you know, nothing had. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of that repeated. That's great. Right. Repeated. Um, she's still here. She's, she means it. Yeah. So that was, that's been a really cool opportunity to kind of, um, learn a lot about a a bunch of different substrates. Yeah. And just kind of working overseas with producers, like what that's like, what you're able to achieve. Um, and, you know, oh, um, um, sorry, go ahead. Different than you think it's going to be, isn't it? Like, yeah, because I would imagine it's it's like anything printing or just like you were saying about a decal, but your vision for what it is and then what that company can actually produce isn't always um, the same. Right. And I think, you know, there are so many issues with producing overseas that, you know, no one has control over, you know, right? Like Chinese New Year, um, factories close for a month. And did you get your art sent in time or do the, is everything off now? And, you know, worldwide pandemics and what have you, you know, these are all interesting things. Um, and it kind of does bring up. So when I kind of closed my card line, I was convinced that like, I don't ever want to have a product based business again. It's too Mm -hmm. much stress. You know, you have to carry all this 
product. I mean, I still have letterpress cards that I printed in like 2002. So, you know, I, do I really yeah, want the nineties, <laughs> right? Like, so, and it's, it's a, it's a lot of overhead too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but you have, a lot more creative control, you have marketing control, you can just, you know, decide what you're going to push for in terms of um, sustainability and where you want to produce. So I've definitely, you know, been interested in, you know, producing my own textile, paper for sure, but textiles and even, you know, maybe some hard goods mm -hmm. um, on a pretty small scale. Um, but And you've I done some of that? Right. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but nothing to nothing where I've like, you know, invested a big chunk of money and done like a, a, a grand collection. So I, that's definitely something I'm thinking about. I, I am really, I was actually very hesitant to even enter this world. One of the things was, do I really want to be adding quote unquote junk, right? Yeah, into this world. And that's like, I know a hard thing all of us in this industry struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, what finally made me just be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this is that <laughs> it is going to be made right. anyway. So if mm -hmm. I can create work that um, it maybe is not so super trendy that has, that someone will keep and use in their right. Like it's um, functional. I just love thing. that point. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. If it's going to be out there and you can make something that design wise is longer lasting, it's just, it's not so trendy. Maybe it's more sophisticated or smarter or just more thoughtful. You're really um, adding to the good part of the process. Yeah. I mean, it's a start for sure. Right. Um, I, I also think, I mean, green initiatives, there's a lot of waste in, you know, mm -hmm. in the production process, mm -hmm. even if, if you're using a material that, you know, I know bamboo is an interesting, people are starting to use bamboo over melamine, but really, I think the more I'm learning about it currently, the bamboo products still do have some melamine in them, like mm -hmm. as a binder. Um, and it's not necessarily the like perfect answer yet. So yeah. I think we're all like trying to figure out ways to do this better. Um, I'm so intrigued by trying to produce some of these things in the United States mm -hmm. um, and have just sort of started looking into those, into, you know, what factories exist here. And I think customers have to be ready to pay a little bit more, but I think they will. I think this whole time of kind of shelter in place is, is going to change a lot of things in that way because I know companies are looking at how they can do more in the States. You know, first there were tariffs from China and now it's timing and, and what can we get and how do we show it to people and how do we sell it to people? And if it's made here, the turnaround time is less and maybe people are interested in a different way and we can manage it differently. And all that is, is being looked at and that's, that's exciting. Um, very exciting. You know, Studio M, um, was making a lot of things in China and now they have such a good domestic factory that they've had for 30 years. They're kind of going back to their roots and saying, really? how can we do things here and how can we do things for more artists? You know, so it's companies, 
companies like that, but I, I mean, I, I've worked, we've both, you know, are aware of so many that produce great products and how do you make it all work at this time? And how do you, how do you do, like you say, involve artists that are designing things that, um, a people are going to want, but are, are going to have legs, you know, be long lasting and, and those things that people are going to want to come back to it again and again. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a similar thing with fast fashion, you know, that's starting to like, people are thinking about it is, do you need to produce as many things every year just because right. one produces this many things a year and one has to have this many collections? Can those collections be smaller and more thoughtful and better designed? I think they can. I, I think it needs to be more about quality than quantity. Yeah. And as it, you know, as fashion is struggling with this and it's going to trickle down to other industries too i mean it has to it does it does i i think it does or at least i think if we start to mindfully move our own goals and and energy and money to those places where we say you know i'm just i'm not going to spend in this way i'm going to spend in this way or i'm not going to design in this way i'm going to design in that way or build or whatever it is yeah i mean i definitely think that artists have a responsibility too um you know i think one thing I learned when I re-entered the licensing world is, wow, budgets are way smaller and people make way less than they used to. Um, and we've sort of allowed that to happen mm -hmm. a bit. And we're also, um, I mean, you know, a few years ago, I really felt like it was a buyer's market. There are so many talented artists out there doing this. Yeah. Um, and I think what started to happen is artists just started accepting lower fees churning out more work because that's what was demanded of them. And I'm also in more into the slow art movement. Like I think a daily art practice is amazing. I don't do that myself. I should, I, I feel like I have um, so little time in just the mint running the business side of my business that I don't have enough time for art and I need to do that. So that aside, I think, do you have, is should we be pressured to show the work that we create every day? Like, I, I don't know. Right. I, you know? I, I do know. I mean, I think we run up against that about, you know, when you're to be, you should be consistent and you should be posting in a certain way. So does that mean you should be doing work? And I, I think if we can tap into ourselves and what, what's working for us, that's equally important because, you know, what, challenge what challenges do you overcome what lights you up along the way those things I don't think I'm not looking to see that from all the people I follow every day I'm looking to be inspired um so that by somebody who's living um their their honest life you know that's so if I feel like if that means that I see what you're doing every couple of days or maybe even it's even once a week then that's the, tr that's the trueness. So if, if we can get back to that a little bit more and stop reaching for a goal that I'm not sure, you know, who told us we had to get there. Right. Um, and I think, you know, Instagram for me has been at first this awesome place, you know, this awesome opportunity to reach so many people, be inspired by so many people. And then this became the source of stress, you know, like I have to post every day apparently. And if I post something I feel really 
good about and excited about and it doesn't get very many likes, you know, it's like, oh, was this really actually crappy? Um, was I wrong about thinking this was good? You know, put, pull it down or whatever. I mean, that's when really it's algorithms and who's actually being shown this. And also if someone decides to double tap on your yeah. image, like should that matter as much as one allows it to matter to them? So yes, I do think the dust is settling. I think just this year for me has been very like, I'm deciding what more, what I feel drawn to do pun intended. Um, not what I should be doing in the world of surface design. And I'm really excited about that. I love hearing that. Honestly, to me, that's where the true best work comes from. When you can stop and listen to forced or otherwise stop and listen to what is really speaking to you. That's when the right stuff comes up. I know it's, it's not always easy to see that, but I think when we look back, it's like, Oh yeah, I made that because it came from a whole different part of me. You know, it came mm -hmm. from, it's a heart project. Or, you know. Yeah. My best pieces are always those projects, not the one that I like plan out specifically and have all these like, you know, goals with them. It is, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm not even control when that in, when that work is being made, like someone else is pulling my hand. I don't know, but it's, that is the zone that I love to be in. I can't wait to see what comes out of that zone. <laughs> Who's inspiring you these days? Mm, who is inspiring me these days? Um, artists mm -hmm. or, okay. Or anybody. So um, recently I've been uh, reacquainted with one of my first artist loves um, and that's Jacob Lawrence, mm -hmm. American painter. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but. I have to look because the name rings a bell and I have to see. So he just was always a modern master in my mind. And I um, first saw a show of his work in when I was in sixth grade at the Seattle mm -hmm. Art Museum um, wow. because he finished his career in Seattle. So he's, um, he was based in Harlem for many years and moved um, to Seattle towards the very end of his career um, and ended up and his wife, Gwendolyn um, Knight Lawrence, also a painter in her own right, um, they settled in Seattle and he was even a professor at the UW um, before my time, sadly, but a, such an incredible talent. I mean, his use of color and form and storytelling is, um, he can be showing like a really um, violent historical scene, um, but it is still so beautiful and moving. Um, and actually there's a, um, another show coming up at Sam in, um, I think spring of next year or two. So you'll have to catch that. But, um, he, his work, um, has inspired me for a very long time and I've just kind of been going back to some of it and, um, being inspired by that. Um, I think Natalie Lette, I'll just say, I mean, I think for so many people in our industry, I think it was her pieces of anthropology that I started seeing years ago that were just so amazing. And it's like, I want to do that. Um, and she have just seen the pictures of how she's painted the inside her of her house. house. Yeah. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, I have this, uh, do you have the, in the garden of my yeah. dreams? Yes. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's, 
she's one of those really prolific people too. And she just, like, I think she just paints all the time and on everything. She, it feels like she's um, true to herself too. Totally. I don't feel like she has an agenda and I kind of get the sense that all these companies just come to her. I don't get the sense she's pitching a lot of stuff. Like, no, yeah, right. Like she just amazing. Of course, everyone wants to work with her. So, um, and she seems like a kind person too. Like yeah. I, you know, that's important to me as well. Um, I think uh, a young artist who's really inspiring is Chelsea Wong. She's in San Francisco. And I actually first met Chelsea when she was in high school and I was teaching a kind of workshop at um, this art group that I was involved with. And she is a really talented illustrator, painter. She does murals and um, kind of done in this very folk art style. She does, um, she paints people, you know, multicultural people wearing amazing things and oftentimes with a message. Um, I just really love her work. Um, and she shows in Seattle and San Francisco. And I expect to be seeing lots more from her. I love those people that are just, again, being, her, being, she's totally true. Totally her. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I will make sure to put those. Um, names in the show notes and my um I'll dig up some pictures of any anybody and, and post them that's the fun part is just I don't know I think sharing and discovering things from other people is it's always been what it's about I imagine at school with that small group you guys just must have inspired each other all the time it was pretty awesome like yeah out of 35,000 students that you would get to be on this in this like really tight-knit group of 22 was pretty unique well, I'm, are, what's, hap what's your next goal, hope? Mm, my next goal, hope. So one interesting thing that's happened this year is that I have been selling um, my licensed product uh, retail. So mm -hmm. for now, just on my Etsy site, but I am working on, you know, my own independent site. Um, I started selling some of my things at, um, uh, like, craft shows and things in the area. And I just really like talking to people, talking to people about art, meeting people. So I always love those. I loved trade shows, you know, it's like a lot of hard work, but I love talking to people. So that was, that's maybe an aspect that not all artists share, but um, having that connection. So, you know, this year all shows were, have been canceled, right? So, and I had purchased all this product to sell. So I really started, you know, like, okay, let's put it on Etsy. I had resisted for a long time because it's really a lot of work and it's really heavy and expensive to ship ceramics and melamine and things like that. Yeah. Which is a big reason why a lot of shops don't, you know, a lot of uh, brick and mortar shops don't until now, right? They're all, so many of them have pivoted online. Anyway, for some bizarre reason during, in the, during this pandemic, like the Etsy sales have picked up to the point where I'm really busy with it. That's great. And I'm now experiencing what it's like to kind of run a retail business. And I had actually, you know, my dream had been to have a, you know, small storefront in Ballard and sell myself. And I actually looked at a couple spaces at the end of last year. And I'm actually thanking my lucky stars that that didn't work out, right? Um, to have the stress of a rent during this. Um, but, you know, what is that going to look like? Um, I'm enjoying that right now. And, um, interested in adding, you know, more thoughtful pieces to that shop. 
That's exciting. Are you making any more things, one of a kind things? I mean, I, so that I feel like, um, I've always done like smaller scale stuff that are, that's one off, you know, like individual cards and things like that. Those, the amount of effort it takes to like market and sell those online doesn't really work. Um, nor have I had access to a ceramic studio to be doing more of those, but I would, I would like to get back into that. Um, I just feel like if you have, if you have your more mass produced things and then every once in a while you can have an original. It's, um, right. That's yes. A win -win. So I, I do have this stash of originals that I, um, I that were bisque pieces that I had held on to for a long time that I painted earlier this year and a friend fired. And I am going to be selling those um, as a fundraiser for the Ballard Food Bank in a few weeks. Excellent. I'm going to have to keep so, my eyes open. Yeah, that'll be an opportunity for just a few. Um, but yes, I mean, I think I think I would probably get burnt out if I didn't mix in some more kind of handmade one-off stuff. I think that's important to keep, you know, what's, especially when, like you said, when you're doing the business too, we have to do those things to keep us fresh and not mired in the business and yes keep the creativity flowing well i'm gonna to have to come back and we're gonna to have to talk again and see what yes yeah, actually do what's inspiring you and <laughs> what's keeping you going and yeah what buildings are being built and all that happens in your house but that would be great where can people find you so um my handle is always misha zade and i'll spell it m-i-s-h-a-z-a-d-e-h -E so on instagram just misha zade facebook misha zade it's mishazade.com and at etsy it's misha zade so if you want to shop for stuff it's my etsy shop if you want to learn about me it's my website that hopefully by the end of this year it'll all be on my website that's really exciting well we'll we'll keep it up to date um, on my website too and, and really we'll be able to find you but I just I loved hearing more about you and more about what you've done it's it's interesting we will have to have a whole nother conversation about the parallels of that uh, uh, yeah but I just think you know what we are a sum of our experiences and the people that feed into that and and I just think you know that's the fun part to see kind of where where we end up next and what's inspiring us and which if we go left or right with it and I love watching where you go and I just today I was looking on your Instagram and just that bright yellow background orange nasturtium picture just made my whole day oh well Margo I mean if I did wasn't already obvious with this you are such an inspiring person and I consider you as you know part of my relaunch um process so i really thank you for everything you do for the artistic community um thank you you know you're a really special special person that's just what i love so much it's a, it's a passion i kind of my favorite thing I, I love seeing people get further than they knew they could get it's fun it's much easier for me to sell us for people's work than my right own. i mean yeah <laughs> i also agree it's yeah calling your own work. so i'm just gonna keep yeah. on doing that yeah <laughs> Um, well, I really look forward to hearing the rest of your conversations that you have planned. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank I'm, so you. I'm so excited. I think this is uh, overdue. So I'm so happy to have you at the front end and we'll just keep the conversation going. Thank you, Margo. All right, Misha. Take care. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. 
And we have come to the end of another recording of Windowsill Chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. I value your time. And I just hope you've gotten as much out of this as I have. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations and these friends and these wonderful people that I have met along the way. So if you're so inclined, another reminder to subscribe and jot down a review for me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions or want to check out more details that we talked about, head over to the show notes at tantowstudio.com. I look so forward to seeing you again next week. Have a good one, everyone.